Isn't there a certain organ that people get removed a lot because it screws up? Yeah, it's appendix. You don't need an appendix, right? Mm-hmm. So that's my thought. Like, things that are a part of us that have kind of outstayed their welcome. This is Deep Talk. Could you repeat that definition? I've never heard of this word. Yeah, I know. It's crazy. Neither have I. Vestigial, according to Oxford languages, is forming a very small remnant of something that was once much larger or more noticeable. So that might be implying, if that word's associated with the tailbone, that humans once had tails. Oh. I would like a tail again. (laughs) I feel like I feel like tails and ears are resurging. I see lots of you know Gen Zers wearing tails and ears everywhere. What like costumes? Uh, I don't. They might take offense to that. They just wear ears and tails, <laughs> like every day, just to the grocery shopping. To Wait, school. these are people that do this? I think I've seen some celebrities do it. Maybe it started there. I don't know. Huh? Like furries. Yeah, Daniel Kahneman is—he's a, a famous psychologist and, and business that's often quoted, where they believe a lot of what we do is rooted in you know natural innate instincts, where we do things because it is our mode to survival, or we do it because you know like I like likes on Instagram because it's going to lead to more reproductive tendency, you know, primal shit. Yeah, so maybe these Gen Zers are tapping into that tailbone. <laughs> but you know what sucks when you bruise your tailbone? Have you done that? I've never done that. Does it hurt? Oh my god! I does once... it feel good? Yeah, feels Make great. You want to get a longer I... tail? Yes, yeah, very longer tail. <laughs> <laughs> I did a cannonball once into a shallow end of a pool. That's okay. before I learned you shouldn't do that. <laughs> and I landed on my tailbone, and I went numb. And they had to rush me to the ER. No way. Yes way. So you had a spinal thing. They thought I was joking, but like I was drowning. I couldn't come out of the water. And they, thank God, it was my sister and my dad. They finally, you know, wanted to let me live. <laughs> and I got rushed to the ER. This is what you get for abusing your vestigial part. <laughs> a useless piece <laughs> almost killed me. They pull you out of the water and punch you in the appendix. yep didn't have that removed do you still have your appendix i think so yeah for sure i had a thing like a few weeks ago where i was absolutely positive that my appendix was rupturing Um, (laughs) my dad told me to go and get a a laxative bottle and i drank all that up and three hours passed nothing happens i'm like holy crap my appendix is about to explode and then suddenly it just all came out and i was fine (laughs) i'm a hypochondriac i really do believe that like i'm dying um pretty frequently (laughs) it's as if my belief generates symptoms because i do feel things it's not like oh what if i die it's like oh i feel like i'm dying Mm -hmm. i wonder what that is like self-preservation trying to be aware of your body i think paranoia has a place in my life right it 
does innately because you should be a little weary of dangers because isn't our whole point to reproduce and live longer isn't that our like only two purposes seems like that's what's uh on your mind today (laughs) (laughs) might be your whole point i have at least 10 kids i'm doing well good lord so what are the symptoms of an exploding appendix So, on your lower right side, kind of below the belly button and to the right of your tummy, um, you you start feeling this, like, dull pain. Actually more centered at first, and then it moves over to the right and becomes sharper. Mm. But it's it's pretty much like a 12 to 24-hour window, I think, between when symptoms start and when you're actually going to explode. And why does it get to that point? Maybe it's like kombucha or something bubbly there's just too much gas building up and it's gotta have a place to let out all that gas i don't know and if it pops it's instant death no not instant but it's pretty timely stuff like you gotta get that stuff taken care of quick or else you will die just seems so like counterproductive you know it's 21st century you wouldn't think that you know there's a part that you know it's just so urgent Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm grateful that I'm in this time of advanced technology and all that, but our body's got a long way to go before it catches up. We got things in us that just explode. (laughs) I want to be born a thousand years from now where our tailbones have completely receded and we have like a crater right above our butt crack and our appendix gets pooped out in a thousand years. Ugh. (laughs) that's a horrible thought we're getting closer and closer to being invincible our body's just figuring out all the ways to deal with mcdonald's (laughs) i think the future is not giving birth to parasites anymore (laughs) like what a painful process you're really stuck on this we should have the technology to not you know have to have women give birth I mean, it can't hurt that bad, right? This is a disclaimer. I am not a part of this conversation <laughs> anymore. This is all on Aussie Neil. So what are the parts of us that we adopt as vestigial tailbones? I think pumpkin spice lattes this time of year oh, come is on. a vestigial. Give me something that's destroying you. Lay it all out. Wow. For the world. Earwax. I don't get it. I don't understand. <laughs> Earwax. <laughs> Do you ever have it when um, it just kind of like you feel it push it out? Because there's so much, yes. it just pours out? No. Oh, okay. That. So this is me just describing how unkempt I am. Yes. Got it. <laughs> I almost challenge you to find one thing that's that does not become a vestigial because we're constantly changing and growing. That's amazing. If you're growing... And improving as a person and somebody around you won't accept you for being a new version of yourself, being different, then they have chosen to become an appendix. The surgery analogy is -hmm. really accurate because I feel like that's how difficult it is to remove somebody like that from your life. Because the relationship is not without love. It's not without fond memories. It's just it's not productive anymore if they're not willing Mm -hmm. to grow with you. And so it's that painful 
to say goodbye to someone that isn't willing to accept you for being a new version of yourself. I have like 63 appendixes. If all 63 of those appendi blow up, you're screwed. I think that's instant death. Oh, Lord. Do you remember those toys where it's like a blob that's wrapped around by octagonal nets? And when you squeeze it, it makes all these little blobs? Yes. I feel like that's what I'd look like if I had 63 appendi. <laughs> I'd just be composed of water balloons. Um, we make plans for our future, you know. We take out 30-year mortgages, or we get married. We sign up for a two-year gym membership, you know, hmm. a one-year phone plan. And it's just amazing how much of a forecast that is when... Really, the only certainty is change. It is. And, and oftentimes, I perceive others who change as mm-hmm. being dishonest to who they are. I make that mistake of being like, oh, you don't act that way normally. You aren't interested in these things. Why are you doing this? Like, you're, you're, you're faking it. When in reality, experimentation and exploration is absolutely essential to growth. Sometimes there's a, a extended space in between. When they haven't even quite figured that out. Oh, you know? wow. What a challenging time. Because they're trying to figure out who they are. And at that moment, they don't even have the confidence to be like, this is who I am. You know, at that yeah. moment, they're just mm-hmm. like, I, I think this could be who I am. You know, this might be something I'm interested in. So there's so much room for doubt and for people to kind of convince you that you're just faking it. You're you're a poser. Mm-hmm. Our life seems so permanent, you know. The people we, around us seem so permanent. Mm-hmm. Everybody seems like they they know who they are to me. Mm-hmm. Most of the time, I'm not seeing people, like, in a state of change. On a few levels, like, one is because that's what's socially acceptable to be put together. And then on a second level, you want your kids to feel secure. And you want them to feel like there's answers to oh. life. You don't want them to feel uneasy. So... I hadn't thought about this with a parent dynamic. Yeah. If you have a kid, you want them to feel like they have a home, they have a base, they're stable. They're yeah. Like- and so much of life is us pretending that things are solid and reliable and predictable. Yeah. When it's the exact opposite, everything's changing around us and we're just mm-hmm. ignoring it and, and trying to convince ourselves that what is here today will be here tomorrow. I do have this mindset where like I need to make sure that I figure out who I am and what kind of person I'm going to raise my kids to be before they're born, which is a hilarious notion that I'm (laughs) going to have any better grasp at life in two years from now than I do right now. That's kind of scary. I don't want to raise kids not knowing how all this works. The more you know how it works, the more you realize that there's no machine. It's just, uh, you're just falling deeper in a black hole. And that's where I think there's beauty in naivety. I'm choosing the parts of my life that I'm going to dig deeper in, and I'm going Mm -hmm. to let be. There are only so many facets of my life that I can kind of delve into before I get overwhelmed with how much information's coming in. And so I choose what parts of my life I'm going to be more or less ambivalent to. And in that Mm. way, I'm kind of structuring an emotional state. 
where, no, I can't deal with politics at work Mm -hmm. or the drama at work. And so I'm going to choose to keep a distance from it so that I can emotionally deal with the logistics of work. We have a lot of influence over the structure of how we perceive the world based on what we delve into and what we keep at bay. I do agree with the sentiment of what you're saying. But. I like being in a state of limbo because that's historically where I've grown the most is constantly being uncomfortable. Choosing to introduce conflict into your life on purpose. Yeah. Things like scarring, the body naturally fortifies that area into a tougher spot. And then that's what happens when we introduce conflict into our lives. We learn how to grow stronger from it. It's so foreign to be in a state of unease, but it is where the bulk of growth does happen. One time I did water aerobics and it was all like 70 and 80 year old women. Wow. And it was fun. We had a good time. So we figured it out to get into a state of (laughs) unease and growth. You got to do water aerobics. Yeah. I feel like this is the state that children are in. Always. Mm. Like they're always asking questions. Curiosity. Yeah. Yeah. Curiosity. The kid's like, why does a tree grow? And you're like, oh, there's nutrients in the ground and it's reaching towards the sun. And it's like, why is it reaching towards the sun? Oh, so the leaves can get exposed to more sunlight and all that. And and there's always another facet of Mm -hmm. information to explore. And I feel like the older we get, the more sure of ourselves we feel. And what that does is actually create a barrier between us and new information. And so kind of returning to that state of being a child and not being afraid to ask so many questions is going to get us a lot further than assuming that we understand all of this. We often like transfer emotions or experiences to say, oh, that is just going to be like that, or just sort of set our boundaries and say, I don't want to learn anymore. I don't want to do anymore, you know? Yeah, you don't actively say it, but that's what you're committing to, isn't it? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah.